Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. So this series is all about equipping us to live our lives in such a rich and satisfying way that when all is said and done, we can just really give glory and thanks to God because we've left nothing in reserve. Cool. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for bringing us back here this morning, Lord. We just thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're able to do such a significant work in our lives as we just hear your word and hear what it is that you have to say to us with regards to how we can live each moment as though it counts. In your powerful and mighty name we pray. Amen. Cool. I remember when this thought first became a reality in my life, this idea of uh, living without, with less regret and with more passion. Uh, I was 17 years old and about to assume the role of being the head of the Student Christians Association in the high school that I was, uh, all boys boarding school that I was attending. Now, this was a huge role and one that had a respected legacy. I mean, anyone in the school can rattle off all the names of the previous heads and how they had impacted their lives. And then there was me. <laughs> and the whole time I kept thinking to myself that I am so inadequate compared to all these greats and, and all the things that they've done. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm nowhere near ready to take up this role. So the whole time I felt unprepared and not ready. And the whole time, and in fact the whole year that followed was one that was strenuous and hard. And it wasn't hard because I didn't have a close enough relationship with God, not because I didn't have enough script, know enough scriptures, and not because I didn't have a great team of leaders alongside me. It felt hard because I never felt ready or equipped. You know, and it felt, this was a big moment in my life and an important season in my life, and the whole time I was found unprepared and not ready. There was this one time when a, uh, one of my classmates came up to me and said, hey Kulu, my Dad is friends with two Sharks players, Jan Muller and Jacques Bortis, and they want to come to uh, the association and share their stories. Let me know when the, when's the best date, and I'll bring them over and, uh, and let my dad know. I was like, awesome, okay. And so I let him know what the best date was, and he uh, told his dad, and it was all arranged and organized. Then came the week of the meeting, and I get a call from uh, Jacques Bortis' agent. Now, let me just give you some context. The meeting was happening on the Thursday. I get the call on the Tuesday. When the phone started ringing, me and my friend of mine uh, were, were sitting on my bed in, in my room uh, watching Iron Man 1 and feeling deeply inconvenienced that we had to pause Iron Man 1 to answer a phone call. So there we go, picking up the phone, and in true 18-year-old form, slouched down, I answer the phone. Yeah. And then the, then the guy was like, hi, is this Kulu? I said again. Yeah. And he said, goes on to tell me that this was, that he was Jacques Bortis' agent. And I went on to mime to my friend and freak out and say, this is Jacques Bortis' agent. And he goes on, and he goes on to ask me, how's the preparation for the meeting going? And I replied back to him and said, yeah, it's, it's going good. All the guys are looking forward to it and excited. And then he goes on and asks me, uh, how, how are you marketing this event? Now, this was problem number one. He called it an event. I didn't see it as anything more than a normal Thursday night meeting. So when he asked, how are you marketing this event? I said, word of mouth, maybe. <laughs> so there was deep silence and, and this heavy breathing on the other end. And I began to pace up and down nervously in the room. And then he goes on to ask, 
how many boys are coming to this event? And I told him, about 50 boys are coming to this meeting. You know, and the whole time, again, he just, there was just more heavy breathing and silence, and there was more freaking out and pacing for me. And then he goes on to, uh, to say to me, quite sternly, Kulu, these are two national rugby players coming to your event, and, the, and they've got a heavy and demanding schedules. I want you to up your game, double, uh, triple the numbers by Thursday, and don't waste their time. You got it? Then, can I tell you, between this point and Thursday came the most intensified marketing campaign in history. Me and my friend ran down to the school library and started designing the worst uh, uh, flyers ever imagined to man. I mean, we, had, we used a word, Microsoft Word, and there was the shark's logo in the top-hand corner. There was a heart with a cross in it. And then I'm pretty sure the words weren't too far away of Johan Muller and Jacques Bortis are coming to, to SCA on Thursday. Please, please, please come. Oh, I'm dead. I'm pretty sure that's how the wedding went. <laughs> we stuck these things all over every billboard, every um, uh, school billboard, every uh, uh, notice board on the houses, in the school block, on the pillars. We, they were everywhere. I even found out uh, who the teacher was that was running the, the school assembly the next morning. And I went over to, to them and I begged them to include this event into now the, the, her school announcements. And I said, please, 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 you don't understand. This is the most important thing ever. You have to include this event. And eventually, and eventually she did. But the whole, uh, then uh, Thursday night came and it, was, it became a huge success. The two players loved sharing their stories and, and they're like twice my size. Like I remember taking a photo with them, which I couldn't find. It was like pre-Facebook. <laughs> and then like they were so much bigger. But uh, the, whole, um, the whole time afterwards, I couldn't help but think to myself that this was so much harder than what it was supposed to be. And if anyone else had this role, they would have done it a lot more smoothly and a lot more uh, fluently. And not just this moment, but every other moment in the year. And, and I felt, again, that it was so hard and so strenuous. And again, it wasn't like that because I didn't have enough, um, I didn't have a close enough relationship with God. And not because I didn't know enough scriptures. And not because I didn't have a, a great team of leaders working alongside me. I felt like this because the whole time I felt unprepared and unready. Here was a big moment in my life, an important season in my life that year. But the whole time I felt unready and unprepared. And my question for you, for all of us this morning is, how often have we felt that way? How often have we gone into an important season or a big moment in our lives and feel like we're unequipped and unready for it? How often have, have you get, gone into a situation where you receive the awesome promotion, but you don't feel uh, equipped enough or ready enough because you don't have uh, the right qualifications? You, know, you, you get this huge leadership role, but you don't feel like you have the right experience for it. You know, you finally find Mr. Right or you finally find Mr. Amazing, you know, after being friend-zoned for three years. And then by all of a sudden, you feel like you don't have what it takes to make it last. But what I want to encourage us with this morning, church, is that if you and I are to live the kind of lives where we save nothing for the next life, it's so important for us to adopt one very crucial, uh, crucial attitude and posture in every big moment in our lives and every important season in our lives. And that one crucial thing is that we must always be found ready. Always be found ready. Let every big moment that will come in your life find you ready. Let every important season in your life that's coming your way find you ready and capable enough to handle its weight, its pressures, and its victories. 
Let's be a people that God can always, always, always find ready. You know, within this new year of 2020, and certainly within this new decade, there are going to come moments in our lives, uh, big moments that are coming our way. And then every single time we're moving towards them and, and we're going to collide with them eventually. Whether that's a promotion, a new, um, a promotion, a new relationship, the birth of a child, a grandchild, or even the opportunity to have a faith conversation with a friend or family member that's far from Christ. All of these are big moments that we are bound to come into contact with. But when we do, when, not if, when they do come our way and when they happen, are they going to find you as timid and mentally ill-prepared as when I was, when I was the head of the Christian Association at school? Or will they find a version of yourself that is willing and able and intentionally and actively living in preparation for that moment? A version, of your, a version of yourself that, although you may lack the actual experience for that particular moment, you're still fully prepared and fully ready and running full steam ahead with all the determination and confidence and commitment necessary. Now, one of my favorite things about uh, uh, being at Extreme Youth and the, our youth group here at the church is that every now and then a teen would come and declare their latest bold life plan. You know, they'll say uh, something along the lines of they're going to get their drivers, their learner's license, their driver's license, and then finance and own their own car, all within the, frame, uh, the frame, uh, time frame of like one to two years. And like you listen to this from the outside, you're like, sure, okay, <laughs> go for that. I'm praying for you and like crossing fingers at the same time, you know, but... Uh, but without fail, every single time they have this grand plan and they really do live up to that time frame in which they've given themselves. It's as if they know in their heads the truth that they, a big moment is coming their way and, they need to, and it's going to collide with them at some point. So when it does, they'll be found ready and prepared for it. And such a powerful and amazing posture to have in any season of our lives. But now the issue is, and I guess the problem that we have to start thinking about is, how can you prepare for a moment that you don't see coming? Yeah. Now, how could I have prepared, how could I have known in grade eight that by the time I was in matric, I should have been preparing to be, a, uh, to be the head of the Christians Association? How could any of us know at the beginning of the year what big moments will come later in the year and how we should be preparing for it? That is what I think uh, faith, that's where I think faith comes in. The kind of faith that Hebrews 1 describes, Hebrews 11 verse 1 describes when it says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith, in other words, is moving confidently towards any big moment that, that we are hoping could happen in our lives. And, that, uh, and moving to, uh, confidently towards any big uh, season, an important season, that we hope could become a reality. Faith isn't wishfully thinking to ourselves and wishfully dreaming that what we hope for will eventually at some point in some way happen. Now, it isn't thinking to ourselves that, yes, I've been uh, blue-ticked in that, my, that WhatsApp message for the last three months, but he slash she will eventually and hopefully answer and declare their mutual love for me in some way or another. Now, that's not faith. <laughs> Faith is adopting an active and progressive lifestyle that is always living in preparation. It's saying, I don't know when this will happen or if it will happen, but if it does happen and when it does happen, I will be found ready for it. Now, it's saying to ourselves, 
if or when that job comes, I will be found ready with the skill set required. If or when that increase happens, I will be found ready with the financial wisdom that's necessary. If or when that proposal comes, I will be found ready in, in how I will conduct myself as a spouse. If or when that faith conversation with my friend who's far from Christ happens, I will be found ready with the right words of love and grace that are necessary to lead them to the Lord. If or when that thing happens, I'll be found ready for that moment because in this moment, I'm living every moment in preparation for it. That is what, uh, how faith allows us to live, uh, to live. And when we do that, we'll undoubtedly be found ready. And when we do that, we'll be definitely saving nothing for the next life because we're giving everything possible in this moment right now. Someone in Scripture who is brilliant and a, and a master at being found ready in every big moment and important season in his life was David. No, long before he, became, um, he stepped into the important seasons of being the Prime, um, the general of, of, Israel, of the Israelite army or becoming the king of Israel, Israel he, stepped into the, he had to step into a big moment that he really didn't know that he was preparing for until it eventually happened. You know, it all starts in 1 Samuel verse 17 when it tells us that the Israelite army and the Philistine army were in, were in a battle. And eventually the battle led to them being on either sides of a hill uh, with the valley in between them, the valley of Elah. And, uh, and on either side of this, uh, of this valley, the Israelite army and the, and the Philistine army, both of them were too scared to make the trip down to fight the other army because if they had to come down and make their way back up, they'll be sitting ducks for the, other, for the other army, and that wouldn't have been wise. So they began to taunt each other and to, and to say words to each other. And eventually, the Philistines decided that they'll send down their champion down into the valley. And, the, and it was a giant of a man named Goliath. And there Goliath was, and he taunted the Israelite army day in and day out, telling them that they must send down a worthy warrior to come fight him in this valley. And the winner of this battle would win the, win the war for their entire nation. So the other nation will become the prisoners of the nation that wins. So a lot was at, was at stake when this happened. And every single uh, soldier who was in the Israelite army didn't, uh, didn't feel ready enough or didn't feel like they were prepared enough for this one big moment in their lives. So uh, even to the extent that King Saul offered a huge reward, but none of them uh, wanted to budge for it. Now he said that whoever fights and wins against Goliath would, uh, would, be, would get his daughter's hand in marriage and they'll have tax exemptions. Now, you must understand how huge Goliath was if, nothing, if both of these things didn't make a single soldier budge. You know, like even like for me alone, just the tax one, like would have, like I would have been like, oh, Goliath, tax, you know, I've had a bad couple of months of SARS. So. <laughs> so the whole time, like they were just playing chicken and playing uh, and, and just um, being too scared to move one, uh, one to, for another. And then this is where David enters in. This shepherd boy, whose only, only reason for being there was that he was helping his dad uh, bring food to his brothers. You know, and there he was, and ignorant and uh, completely oblivious to what's happening. And eventually he catches wind as to what the, what the issue was, uh, was happening. And he decides, you know what, 
I'll step up and I'll fight against Goliath. And he didn't do this because, he, uh, because of the reward, even though he knew what it was. What's amazing was that he did this because he knew that here was somebody who was taunting the army of the living God and he was left to get away with it. And he said to himself, on my watch, that won't happen. So he decides that he's going to step up and fight Goliath. So as the story continues, uh, the, the, everyone in the Israelite army begins to, begins to be aware of the shepherd boy who was asking questions about Goliath. And then he eventually, King Saul catches wind of this and calls David to him. And, he, and in as big a moment as possible, in as real a moment as possible, one-on-one with the king, David says, Ach, don't worry about that guy. I've got this. King Saul said to him, don't be mad, don't be stupid, you're unprepared and unskilled and uh, definitely not ready for this moment. And this is where David begins to come alive and he begins to say to Saul, oh, you don't understand. Yes, I may not have taken on a, a Philistine giant before. Yes, that's a unique scenario, but I have always been living in preparation. So I am prepared and I am skilled because when it comes to defending my own, when it comes to looking after what God has entrusted me with, I have always been prepared. I've lived in every moment in preparation for that. Therefore, therefore, in this big moment right now, not just for me, but for the entire nation, I will be found ready because I've always been living in preparation. King Saul looked at that confidence and thought to himself, go for it. <laughs> now, how can you fight the confidence of someone who's always been living in preparation? So, so from, that moment, uh, from that moment on, David took on Goliath. And from that moment until now, the legend of David and Goliath has been used whenever any small team like Liverpool takes on and beats any big team like Manchester City. <laughs> throughout, David, um, throughout the story and throughout uh, David's life, what we begin to see was that there are three very key lessons that David adopted in his life long before he encountered Goliath. You know, three key lessons that helped him to prepare for any unknown and any big, uh, uh, important season in his life. And it's because of these three lessons uh, that David was able to enter and step into any big moments that God had for him. And it's these three lessons that I believe that can help us whenever we step into any big moment and unknown season that's coming in our lives. Are you ready for them? Yes. Awesome. The first one is, David prepared by serving. It's quite interesting to see the strong link between David's willingness to serve and him encountering this big moment in his life. 1 Samuel 17, 17 to 20 tells us, One day Jesse, who's David's father, said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these, and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for battle with shouts and battle cries. Notice how David didn't go into the battlefield to fight Goliath. He went onto the battlefield to serve his brother and his father. You know, he, 
the whole reason of why, why this big moment occurred in his life wasn't because he set out and said, cool, big moment time. No, it was because he was, had humble hands and a humble heart that was willing to say, cool, I'll do whatever it has to, I have to do in order to serve my dad and to serve my family. So, and because of that, that big moment uh, found him ready. And if he didn't do that, if he wasn't willing to serve and he wasn't willing to, um, uh, to, to uh, help his dad out, you know, he wouldn't have been found ready in that big moment because that big moment wouldn't have happened at all because he wouldn't have been there in the first place. So for David's life, his humility and his willingness to serve, it all led to the greatest opportunity of his life. Serving was the catalyst for the big moment to happen. By being prepared to be a part of something bigger than himself, David's most significant seasons in his life got fast-tracked. The same is true for our lives. Whenever we humble ourselves to serve God and to serve others, we find we found that God uses our serving hearts as a catalyst for the most important and significant seasons and moments in our lives. A very, a very practical way for, for us to do this, a very practical way of us to adopt this attitude and this heart of somebody who's willing to serve at any time and allowing serving to be the catalyst in our lives, a very practical way is to commit to serve in God's house this year if you're not already doing so, to serve here at the church. You know, whenever we adopt the posture of somebody who's willing to serve, we'll begin to witness in our lives what David witnessed in his. And that is that God will begin to prepare your heart, your character, and your spiritual strength for any big moment that is entering into your life. Now, I can't, I, every time like I, I think about this, I can't... Uh, help but think of how every single time I've had uh, a big moment in my life and I've tried to uh, step into that, whether it be outside of church, how everything I've learned in church is automatically just allows for that moment to just happen as best as possible. You know, God uses our serving to, cat uh, to be a catalyst in every big moment in our lives. Now, a very practical way in us to do this uh, this year is to simply take these uh, our serve cards which are on our seats, you know, and Whichever way you want to serve, you're more than welcome to just choose an area, you know, whether it be joining an iServe team that serves here on, a, uh, on Sundays, you know, or the creative, uh, creative team, which consists of the worship team that's on the, on the platform, or the production team that's at the back, you know, or whether you want to join uh, one of the kids' zone teams, which looks after the kids and just really disciples them and grows them in a, in a meaningful way. You know, or maybe you want to serve in one of the uh, outer, uh, one of the teams that serve in the outer communities, like Shine, that uh, that does um, tutoring for grade for grade ten and eleven learners in Rechel Park, and they also help grade two learners uh, learn to read and write, so that they have the best possible foundation to launch them into their future. Now we also have the Serve the City team, which literally finds every building, every nonprofit organization, every any school possible, and finds out. What's the best way that they can uplift that, those facilities and uplift the campus, whether it be doing electrical work, painting, um, fixing roofs, like they do all sorts of stuff. You know, and they just make things look awesome. <laughs> you know, whether, regardless of whichever team that we want to serve in and decide to serve in, God can always use that as a catalyst to fast track any big moment he has in store for our lives. So I encourage you, as you go into this year, let that be something that you consider doing and let that be something that God can use to refine your life, refine your heart, refine your character so that you can step into the next big season well. Cool.
The second lesson we learn from David's life is that David prepared by honing his gifts. Honing his gifts was a big deal in his life and a huge factor as to why he felt equipped when this particular big moment came in his life. In 1 Samuel 17, 32 to 40, we see the interaction that David had with Saul and we see this begin to, this idea of honing his gifts begin to come to the fore. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this, fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the, from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I feel like he's from the East End. <laughs> I've done this with the lions and bears, and I'll do it, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. I think that's like Old Testament version of you do you. I'm out of this. (laughs) Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in this, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed with his, with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. From this verse, what is clear is that David knew what he was good at and what he wasn't good at. He knew exactly what he needed for every big moment, when and, and, and how it arose. Now, whether it be fighting a lion or a bear or a giant, he always knew. He didn't put on Saul's armor and say to himself, oh, I'm not good with this on, therefore I'm not good at anything at all. But how often do we do that to ourselves? How often do we not use the gifts that God has provided us? And how often do we not hone them and, to, and not um, live our lives uh, uh, out of them and then say to, uh, say to ourselves and, have, and say to those around us, oh, I'm not good at anything at all. Now, I spent the whole time uh, in my, when I was in high school not, uh, not making an effort to discover or hone or use any gift that God had given me. And when the big moment came and when an important season came, I was found, I was found wanting and not being able to use any of the gifts that God gave me and began to, be, and began to believe in my life that, you know what, I'm not good at anything at all. But can I encourage us to adopt David's mentality? And do the hard work of recognizing what are the nuanced and unique things that God has gifted each of us with. What are the things that you should be uh, picking up? And what are the things that you should be putting aside? And what are the things that you should be recognizing that, you know what, maybe conventionally this is the best way to do this, but I'm not good at conventional. But I've got this brilliant and niche talent, and I'm just going to use that to accomplish that goal. Now, what are those little things that you're great at? And, can I, and then the only reason and the only way in which we can find out what they are is if we take the time to hone every gift that we've been given. You know, David picked up his sling and put down Saul's armor. 
in order for us to hone our gifts and our talents and our skills, we need to know what we must pick up and what we must put down. Now, you can't pick up uh, honing your leadership skills by, uh, by reading and, and studying leadership if you don't put down your phone and social media. You can't pick up your destiny of who God wants you to be unless you put down that relationship that's damaging you. You can't pick up being a voice of encouragement and, and of light in the people in your, in your world and in your life if you don't put down being a, a voice of discouragement to those who, um, uh, that criticizes your family, your friends, your workplace, your school, your home, and everything around you. Now, I've been, uh, the last couple of weeks or so hasn't been the, the, the greatest uh, start for the year for Amy and I. But what we begin to realize and notice is that, is that, uh, that there's so many people in our lives who have been just that, a voice of encouragement. And when I was thinking about this this morning, I began to realize, as you know what, they weren't, they weren't just being a voice of encouragement right now in a, their big moment when it mattered, but actually they had been honing this voice, being a voice of encouragement in every possible season that they've been doing, both the good and the bad. And when it came to a moment in which they were honing it now and, uh, and just in every person in their lives that were in, this, in, in going through a struggle, they've talent was fully matured and their skill and their gift was fully matured because they knew how to be a voice of encouragement. So don't spend the whole year sparingly using whatever gifts or talents uh, that you have, but be like David and find every opportunity to use whatever God-given gift that you've been given. Find every opportunity to use your gift. Be aggressive about it and don't be the kind of person that finds every opportunity to hide the gift. <laughs> In 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, Paul encourages Timothy to do the same thing when he wrote, I'm, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid my hands upon you. It's God who gives the gift, but it's our responsibility to fan that gift into flame, to find the opportunities to hone them and to use them whenever that mom the moments come. No, so that when the big seasons come in our lives, they'll always find us ready and able to use those gifts. Amen? Amen. And the third lesson we learned from David's life is that David prepared by knowing whose he was. He always knew who, whose he was. And the most important thing about knowing whose you are is that when the big moments come, you're under no illusion as to who the big moment actually belongs to. You know that it's God who's, who orchestrated it in the first place. Therefore, it's him who orchestrate the victory and the success that comes after it. You know, you know that it was God in the first place. David knew this uh, throughout his entire life, and it came out during his interaction with Goliath. There, Goliath was like blurting out words to him and being like all like like domineering, and David just like looks at him and replies this in verse 45. He says, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the, of the armies of Israel, who you have, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not by spear and sword. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. You know, when you know whose you are, 
that you're God's child, that you've been adopted and redeemed and brought back by Jesus and the powerful work that he did on the cross. You know that in every big moment, God is for you and not against you. David charged forward to take on Goliath and he, uh, and, he, uh, and he was able to do that because he knew that he belonged to God and that God was for him and would cause the victory to happen on his behalf. This wasn't a realization that happened uh, right there in that moment as he was walking down the valley, but it was something that he, had, uh, but that he had developed and that had grown in his life in every season as he was honing his gifts, as he was serving and as he was getting to know God more and more. And, and we too can confidently believe that this truth is a reality in our lives and not wait until a big moment comes when we begin to believe that actually God is for us. Paul says in Romans 8 verses 31 to 32, it tells us, if God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could stand against us? For God has, prov has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely Offered up, uh, offered up the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us any, uh, anything else that he wants to give us. Knowing this and believing this changes everything in our lives because you're not second-guessing and wondering, uh, I'm stepping into this big moment, but is God actually with me and is he actually for me? But you're actually knowing and believing that, you know what, I'm stepping into his confidence, uh, his, his power, and what he is able to do because he is always with me, always for me, and I belong to him. So the question is, how are we going to live in 2020? How are you going to live out each day this year? Are you going to be carrying away from opposition like David's brothers and the Israelite army? Or are you going to be like David? knowing very well who you belong to and being absolutely convinced that he is for you and not against you. So can I encourage us as a church, let's step into this year, living our lives in preparation, whatever big moment and important season that God is wanting to prepare for us. Let's do this knowing that when the big moment comes and as we do this, when those moments come, we'll always be found ready for them. Because leading up to that, we've always been living in preparation. We've always been serving. We've always been honing our gifts. We've always been knowing whose we are and knowing that God is for us and not against us. And as we do that, every moment in our lives will find us ready. And every big season will find us ready. In May of 1960 in Chicago, four men waited for news from the, from the Republican convention about which one of them would be the first to be nominated as the, as the first Republican nominee to, be, uh, to run for US president. But although four were running, the, really everyone was convinced that the race was actually between the top three. William Henry Seward, Edward Bates, and Salmon Chase. They had all the political acumen and the experience necessary. No one expected the lesser known lesser experienced, the lesser recognized, Abraham Lincoln to win. But by the end of the day, in 19, uh, on the 18th of May, 1960, that's exactly what happened. And by the end of the year, Abraham Lincoln became the first Republican president in the US history. Winning the convention was a big moment in his life. And the presidency was a big season in his life. But what remarked everyone around him and what remarked the entire nation was that how throughout this moment and throughout this season, 
how he was always found ready for every huge task that came his way, how he was always found ready to just keep, uh, to keep doing and making the right decisions. But for him, it wasn't a surprise because he knew that he had, been, he had spent his life serving his friends and serving in public office. He had known uh, because of every moment that he could find to hone his leadership gift or his speaking gift, he used. And because he knew whose he was at all, at all times. And because of all this, he was able to step into the important season of leading his country out of a civil war and, uh, and leading them into reconciliation. All because of, how, of being found ready in every moment. And when considering all of this, he once remarked, I will be prepared and someday my chance will come. Extraordinary things happen when we live in preparation for the big moments in our lives. Because when we are are found ready, our lives and the lives of those around us begin to change. Let's pray. Again, if we are to be found ready, it's absolutely important for us to remember whose we are. We are children of the Most High God, adopted, redeemed, saved, brought back through the powerful work of Jesus Christ, where on the cross, He hung, bled, and died for our sins. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know who this Jesus is, can I encourage you and can I invite you to make a decision this morning to follow Him and to allow Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. There is no rich and satisfying life in this life or the next without Him right at the heart of it. And you may be wondering, who is this Jesus? He is our divine Lord who gave up His position in heaven so that He could come down to earth and live among us, the people who created and loved. And after 33 years of living a blameless and sin-free life, he was accused and arrested and sent to die on a, on a sinner's cross. As tragic as it was, it, was all, it all went according to his predestined plan on dying on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And so he hung on the, on the cross and died a painful death. But it doesn't end there because three days later, after being placed in a tomb, he rose again in new life. He did all this so that whoever believes in Him and calls on His name would find hope for their lives, forgiveness of their sins, and a perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father, both in this life here on earth and in the next life forevermore in eternity. And if you're sitting here this morning, and this is the first time you've been made aware of who this Jesus is, or maybe at the start of this brand new year, you beginning to have this a rekindling of some sort in your heart and beginning to wanting to step into knowing Him again and more fully. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And that's just so that I can know who, we, who I'm praying for. And when you raise, uh, when you raise your hand, it'll just be an indication of that. And that's, that's just a simple way of responding to allowing Jesus to become your Lord and Savior into your life and inviting Him into your life so that He can be the one who helps you in every moment, in every season, and in every, every situation in life. So again, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, when I do so, you can simply raise your hand and I'll just know who I'm praying for afterwards. At the count of three. One, two, 
three. Thank you, I see the hand in the front. Thank you, I see the hand at the back as well. Thank you, I see your hand in the middle as well. Thank you, I see that hand. So awesome to see so many people making a decision to follow Christ this morning. Thank you, I see your hand as well at the back, Sue. Anyone else? Thank you, I see your hand as well. We're willing to wait for you because Jesus is willing to wait for you. So if you want to take a moment to just raise your hand, last call, I encourage you to do so. Awesome. Come church, just be the church in this moment and let's pray together. You can just repeat after me. And if you're praying this prayer for the, for the first time, let it resonate in your heart. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I realize I need you in my life and I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. As much as I know how, I want to follow you from now on. Please come into my life and make me a new person on the inside. I accept your gift of salvation. Please help me to grow now as a Christian. Amen. We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.